If you are not heading downstairs, then I invite you to go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 is where we are at today. We're in the last chapter, been in this text for a while, and the last chapter the book of Hebrews is all about how do we live the Christian life. A couple weeks ago, verses 1 through 6, we saw that the entire Christian life is to be lived out in love. What characterizes, what distinguishes, what the mark of a Christian is our love for one another. And then, of course, how do we live this life of love? We looked at that last week when we started turning to verse 7, and the author said, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their life, imitate them. And so he began to focus the church's gaze upon the leaders. And now, this week, the author will once again tell the church to obey and submit to its leaders. So Almost the entire part of chapter 13 is taking the gaze of the church and now directing it to the church. And we could ask, well, why? Why is he doing this? The entire book, he's been focusing on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and the call to now persevere in the faith. And as he's been writing to this church, that's, that's been tempted to drift away from the gospel, to go back to Judaism. He's now directing the church's attention to the leaders who are on the ground and who will continue to minister to them in the flesh on a day-to-day basis. So that's where he's now directing their gaze to them, and he's calling us to remember our elders, imitate our elders, obey our elders, and submit to them. So that's what we're looking at today. The main point that we're going to try unpacking is we joyfully follow our elders because they are a means of grace for our perseverance. And so before we get to the text, there's, I came up with at least five things that I want to say as we, as we come into this text. Number one, this sermon is certainly not an exhaustive sermon on church leadership. Like we're not looking at all the ins and outs and all the things that leaders are to do or not to do. Um, we will not be talking about spiritual abuse, which certainly many of you have seen, possibly have witnessed, um, and that is definitely a worthy topic to talk about uh, because we've seen many of those things happen within church, and with that, we will also not discuss um, when a church should not follow its leaders. I think in our anti-authoritarian, individualistic Western society, we automatically go to, well, but, but what if? And, and we want to come up with the exceptions to God's word versus let's just take it as what it said, just kind of like when we come to, um, to marriage. We all love Ephesians 5, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And we go, but, but wait, what if? Or husbands, lay down your lives to your wives. And we go, but wait, what if? And what if we... Not try not to think about the exceptions as much as if those are the normative, but rather how do we follow in obedience to God's word. Number three, I want to point out I am very much aware that I am preaching a text that says obey your elders, and I'm doing that as an elder in this church, which that just makes it awkward. Like this is, this would be like one of my favorite texts to preach at one of my friend's churches. 
and say, obey him. This is why you should do that. So there is awkwardness. So I want you to know, I feel like, I feel it, but, but this is why we preach expositionally. We go verse by verse, book by book, through the Bible, so we don't pick and choose the text we want to preach or the ones we don't want to preach. Number four, as we talk about elders and the church's responsibility to follow them, I want you to keep in the front of your mind that the church is the bride of Christ and that Jesus is the chief shepherd, and and in that sense, we are all sheep. There's there's no distinction there. There might be elders and deacons and stuff, but we are all sheep before Jesus. Um, And so to recognize that when we look at a position like elders, and we could say this about many other things, we're ultimately looking at a means in which Christ loves his church. So as we look at what the text is saying, we must then let it direct our gaze back up to Jesus as our king. And and lastly, number five, this text is for our good. It's for our joy. It's for the good of the world and the glory of God. I, I want you just to consider, if we were to get this text and embrace it and love it, what would the effect be? We would have a church that would raise up men who would desire to lead and to preach and to teach and to stand boldly on the gospel. We would be a church that plants churches. We'll be a church that's actively involved in advancing the kingdom, not only here in Lacey, but in all parts of the world. And we'll be a church that's united together, making sure every member is cared for and loved for. And so that's our desire, is that we'd be a church that would herald the gospel of Jesus Christ in every way. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to read the text together, and then we'll pray as we begin to unpack this text. Chapter 13, verses 17 to 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let me pray. Our Father. We, we come to you now, and I just ask for your spirit to work uh, just in abundance through the preaching of this text. I pray that as we, as we listen to your word and to this sermon, that our minds would not twist, would not change the meaning of your word that's given. But Lord, I pray that we would see the beauty of your word, And that ultimately you, as our chief shepherd, as the head of the church, you care for us. And that you guide us and that you love us. And so, Lord, may today be a day that we would draw closer to you as we better understand your care for us. On how elders are simply a means, an instrument in your hands in which you protect and care and comfort the church. And Lord, may we be united together in our love for you, and may our unity testify of the power of your gospel. In your name, Jesus, amen.
I felt fine this morning, and then as soon as I came here, like, my voice started, like, doing weird things, so I stole my wife's tea. Thank you. It's really good. I made it for her. I gave it to her, and then I took it. <clears throat> so, anyways, that's how that worked. Um, all right. Well, there's nothing better than for me to do at this moment than to give you six reasons why we should joyfully follow our elders. <laughs> there, there is a humor in it. Um, number one, we believe in the inspiration, authority, and inerrancy of God's word. We just begin with that. Inspiration. We, we know that God is the ultimate author of the Bible. Every single word is breathed out by God. So as humans wrote it, it comes from God. It comes with his authority. Our view of scripture is our view of God, which is why in the Old Testament, when we see they disobey scripture, they disobey God. To obey scripture is to obey God. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, which means we believe there's no errors at all in Scripture. And it doesn't expire either, and it's not only culturally relevant for a certain time period in a certain geographical area, rather it's true all the times. It carries Jesus' authority at all times, and is without error at all times, and it will never, ever change. One of the beautiful doctrines that we've preached on and talked about is the immutability of God, the unchangeableness of God. He does not change, which is really, really good, because we've all believed what Scripture says, we believe in Jesus Christ, and thus we will be saved. And so we will then come to, to Christ on that day he returns, and he will say, why should I let you in? And we'll say, on the basis of the blood of Jesus. And we know he won't go, oh, yeah, that's right. I changed my mind. Did you not get the memo? So we know that it's unchangeable. So every word we come to is good. So one reason one reason we can say we will joyfully obey the leaders, the elders of the church, is because the Bible says so. Now, it does give other reasons, but in that right there, we should say it says so. Wives should submit to their husbands because the Bible says so. Husbands should lay down their lives sacrificially at all times for their wives because the Bible says we could walk through much of Scripture and simply look at because we know it comes with his authority and inspiration. It's without error and unchanging. Therefore, what scripture says is what we believe and what, how we act. That's number one. Number two, we believe elders are given to the church by the sh chief shepherd. Like, I hope we all know that in the first century, the apostles didn't get together and say, all right, how do we do this church thing? Let's come up with some leadership positions. But rather, what we see, elders and deacons are positions given by Christ to the church. Let, let me give two examples. And you can write these down. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And this is speaking of Jesus. It says, and he gave, Jesus gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, Shepherds and teachers, those words, some would hold those together, shepherds and teachers, some hold those separate, but it's largely believed that that's referring just to pastors and elders there. Shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints, 
for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So these positions are given to the church by Jesus, our king, our chief shepherd, not created by men. We also see it in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where Paul, he writes, he's writing to the church of Ephesus, and he goes, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So he's writing to the elders. And then he says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul writes the the church, and he says, you all are elders, and don't forget why you're elders, because the Holy Spirit has moved in you and appointed you to be elders in the church. And then, just to make sure we don't miss the role to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's because Jesus, our chief shepherd, appoints men to shepherd his church that that we actually here at Timberline, we created um, an elder candidacy process. We we did that this last year. Time is really, like, post-COVID, I don't understand. Like, are you like that now? You're like, was it a year or two ago? Two years ago? I don't know. So, So in the recent past, we... We created a program um, just called, it's the uh, Elder Candidacy Program, because we're convinced from Scripture that God calls men to lead his church. And so we, we've simply tried to create a process to help men wrestle with and, and consider if Jesus would be calling them to eldership. And so one thing I, I do just want to say um, and we said this last week, I want to encourage every man to pray if God would be leading him this way. And remember, it might not be today or tomorrow or next week, but it might be in a year. It might be in five years. I just ask that you'd begin praying that way. And wives, I ask that you would pray for your husbands. I ask that you pray for your sons. You say, well, he's only 10. Yes. But how great would it be if he's trained by other men in the church So one day, like Timothy, who was young, would be an elder of a church. And then I I would just ask that you pray for all the men in the church. Just that we would consider. And I think we covered this pretty well last week. Like where, you know, we said, some of you might think it would be foolish for you ever to be an elder. And yet we went to 1 Corinthians 1 where it talks about how God uses and chooses those who are weak, unwise, and foolish to accomplish his purposes. So if you feel like that would be foolish, then you're right where God wants you. Praise God. So don't let that feel like it disqualifies you. Rather, we ask that you would consider and just begin praying. So we joyfully follow our elders because we know that Jesus is the one who ultimately appoints them. Which means the ultimate reason that Ozon is here, that Chris is here, and that, and that I am as an elder is because ultimately we know that Christ was behind the appointing of that. The, the reason we're wrestling right now with two of our elder candidates, Aaron and Adiels, we're praying, is this what God is leading them to do? So that day that we do affirm them, we're simply affirming what Jesus has already done in their hearts. Number three, uh, we believe elders Teach the gospel and model godliness for the sake of the church. There's two things I want to cover here. Teaching and and modeling or or imitation. Hebrews 13.7. This is where we were last week. The author says, remember your leaders. 
And you say, well, well, what leaders? Well, those who spoke the word to you. So particularly elders, could be others, but definitely he's referring to elders. In 1 Timothy and Titus, we know that the distinguishing mark of an elder between an elder and a deacon is that the elder teaches. Now, that's not to say a deacon cannot. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 7, Stephen's sermon is pretty good. It's pretty amazing. And you go, well, he was just a deacon. Yes. So just because uh, one is a deacon doesn't mean he couldn't preach. But a mark of an elder is one that he does teach. Now, it wouldn't necessarily always require him to be behind a pulpit. It could be in different formats. In Ephesians 4, 13 to 14, we see, this is right after that text we already read earlier, Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, we see that elders teach God's word so the church would grow in its maturity and not be tossed around by the false teachings and the schemes and the cunnings that take place in this world. So one of the reasons elders are necessary for the church is because the church sets them aside to particularly study and learn scripture. They do this so they'd be able to help others live out the truths of scripture. In fact, do you remember what one of the key problems of Hebrews is? Do you remember what the problem is in Hebrews chapter 5? So all throughout the book of Hebrews, they're in danger of drifting They're in danger of falling away. There's all these exhortations. Keep running, keep running, keep running. Don't fall back. Lock arms with one another. Run the race. Why? Why is this church in such a fragile position? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. The church has neglected the teaching of God's word. They've not matured where they've remained on milk. They've departed from the teaching of God's word, which is now why they're in this dangerous position, or as Paul says in Ephesians, they're being tossed to and fro, and they're going, should we go to Judaism? Should we go to this over here? Surely it's not Christianity. I mean, that's, that's being really hard. So they're being tossed around because they've neglected the teaching of the word. And we could say, well, what is it that elders teach? The sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus, which is what the book of Hebrews is all about. That's why it's been so amazing walking through this book. He's fixated our eyes all the way from Hebrews 1. Remember in 1, 1 through 4, where it it displays this beautiful, or this beautiful passage that displays the radiance and the glory of Jesus Christ. Then all throughout the book, he's been talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can come and atone for our sins. He's not only the sacrifice, but he's the priest who makes the sacrifice. And he's now the high priest who stands at the right hand of God, giving you and I grace to follow him, to obey him, to stand firm, to run the race. That's what elders are called to preach each and every day. We just direct people back to Christ. It's a position given to the church by Christ to tell people about Christ. Secondly, elders model godliness. They imitate Christ. Elders are called to teach God's word, but we're called to Live it out, to display it, to model it. Hebrews 13 says, not only remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their faith, but then it says, imitate them. Remember in 
Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, when he, when he was talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said this, <clears throat> set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity. And by no means does this imply that elders are perfect or we don't sin. And I think we have tried, even at this church, to, to make sure we've communicated that on a regular basis. That we, we regularly, we practice confession with one another. We encourage one another. We spur one another on. You could talk to my own D group of guys that I meet with. They know my own list of sins that I share with them and need regular prayer with. So by no means, just as, as no Christian is perfect, but just as a father leads his family in Christ, so elders are called to lead the church towards imitation in Christ. And I think one of the primary things that the author is thinking about when it comes to imitation is perseverance. Because for one, that's, that's what the church needs. They're being tossed to and fro. They've neglected the word. They're not sure what to do. They're thinking about abandoning the race. In chapter 10, verse 36, the author said, you need perseverance. That's the need of the church. Don't drift. Hebrews chapter 3, exhort one another as long as it's called today that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, spur one another on in godliness. Encourage the gathering of the saints. All the more, as you know, the day of the Lord is drawing near. So elders are to simply stand before the church in perseverance, through trials, through all of life, showing the supremacy of Christ. Showing what, remember what Paul said in Philippians 3? We looked at this last week. He counts it all joy to follow Christ, and he considers everything else as loss compared to the insurpassable worth of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the role of all of us. All of us are called to do that. And elders are called just to lead that example within the church. We're to continually remind the church of the promises, the unbreakable promises that we have in Christ and in the unshakable foundation that he's given us. Remember <clears throat> at the end of chapter 12, Mount Zion, Everything else will shake, but what remains? Mount Zion and every name enrolled in heaven. The saints. Number four, we, we follow elders. We believe, because we believe elders protect the church. Somehow I locked your tea thing. Nothing came out. It's good tea, honey. Thanks. I love when it doesn't work and I just keep talking about it in my own nervousness, as if that makes it better. Um, we believe elders protect the church. Verse 17, just look at what it says. We keep watch over the souls in the church. The word keep watch means be alert, be vigilant in guarding something. So in, in Scripture... A picture that is given to the church for how it works is that there are sheep and there are shepherds. Now, ultimately, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Totally know that. We're all sheep compared to Jesus. But within the church, he's also placed shepherds, or some call them under-shepherds, and they're sheep. And so he particularly calls the shepherds to look out for the sheep. 
We see this in Acts chapter 20. Paul's talking to the elders of Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock into which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's a danger. Wolves are coming. And from among your own selves, possibly from even the elders or just within the church, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. I feel like my voice is getting worse as we go. I appreciate it. Pray harder. Um, There are many dangers in the world. So many of them are subtle. Um, Some of them are not. Some of them are literally like wolves disguised as sheep. Elders are just those who are constantly alert, always looking, always on guard. Think of a lifeguard. They sit and they have a focus. It's everyone in the pool. They're not concerned about the bathrooms. They're not concerned about the parking lot. Their focus is on the pool. And everyone's swimming and everyone around the pool. Are we okay? They're always watching. And if someone goes down and is not coming up right away, they jump in. There's other people who are there. Now, any of them could do it, right? If there's, there's a sheep that's beginning to stray, anyone can go after them. But certain people are called to go after them, to make sure somebody's going after them. The lifeguard has to jump in. No matter what, they're going in. If other people grab, all the better, right? So it is with the church. We're all called to look out for one another. We're all called to encourage one another. But particularly the church has elders, which are like the lifeguards. They're they're jumping in. No matter what, they're going in because they're alert. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it, no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So he's looking at the church, right? He's looking at them. He's talking about running the race. He says, see to it that no one stops running. See to it that no one goes off the narrow path onto the wide path. Now, do elders do this perfectly? No, we know not. We know there's people who slip through the cracks at times. And and that is one reason we need more elders. All churches do. What a blessing it would be to have, oh, we have so many elders. No, no, we're good. We don't have that problem. We need more elders. I think most churches could use more elders. Now, remember, the shepherd's protection of the sheep is ultimately the means in which Jesus, as the chief shepherd, loves the church. But you have to see it that way. The focus is not then on the elder, but on the grace of Jesus and how he provides and cares for his church. So think of it this way. Jude 23 and 24. I love Jude. Book of Jude. You should all love Jude. It's, It's like short. We can read it a lot. But Jude 23, save others. So he's talking to the church. So save others by snatching them out of the fire. To to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now he begins to work his way into a doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. All right, two things. You... Save others 
God says, I keep you from stumbling. Well, which one? Which one is it? I mean, if we're to save, then why does he need to keep us? And if he keeps us, why do we need to save others and snatch them out of the fire? So which one is it? It's both. God keeps us from stumbling by you and I snatching each other out of the fire. So when a Christian begins to run into sin and you run after them, you are the means of God's grace in their life to pull them out. Praise God, right? That's how he uses all of us. So elders are simply to be an example of that. Not the only ones. Not the only ones. We're all called to look out for one another. Simply instruments in the hands of a redeemer. And he just uses you and me as grace, as a means in which he cares for his church and loves his church, which is why, why we ask for membership. We want to know who, who has believed in Jesus Christ? Who, who, who are the sheep? Like there's, I don't know, 180 people here today. Are we all sheep? Because we're in a room together? How, who's the sheep? For elders, it's helpful when we go, well, we've affirmed salvation and we walk through the membership covenant affirming the very basic tenets of faith. This is who we run after. We know who the sheep are because we all affirm it together and we all ask for God's grace to work in our hearts and our lives. <coughs> Number five, I think we're going to make it, maybe. Maybe my voice will. We believe elders have a weighty responsibility. Why do elders keep a vigilant watch? What does the text say? Look at what comes next. Because they have to give an account. Who do we need to give an account to? Well, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. I, I honestly, and I can say this, I don't believe there's a higher responsibility than being appointed by Jesus to care for his bride whom he died for. Now, I don't say that as any means of esteeming an elder as if they're better than anyone else. So I hope you know that, and, and I think you know that, and that's the heart of the elders and I. We no way would ever place ourselves above anyone before Christ. However... We do realize there's a weight to eldership, which is why in James chapter 3, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Probably referring to elders. You know that if you're teaching God's word, standing before the church, there's a weight to that. Now, I don't think this is meant to scare us. So as I, now you're all going, well, I don't want to be an elder now. I'm not going to stand before Jesus on that day. I don't think he's trying to scare us from it. Three things. I think we ought to really prayerfully consider who we place as elders. Because we care for their souls and placing them in these positions. So there's a weight on the church there on how they wrestle with this. Number two, this accounting is meant to encourage the church to willingly submit to the elders. Notice how the church, how the verse plays out. Obey your leaders, submit to them, because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Why do we obey? Because they give an account for you. 
So there would be a day that the elders will stand before Jesus and he will say, how did you lead my sheep? And we'll give an account to that. So as the church, we say, we, we, want, we want that to go well. We want to help you in leading us. Therefore, we follow and obey. Number three, this warning ought to cause men to be very humble in their consideration of eldership. We're not aspiring to be elders because of selfish ambitions of standing before the church, of having some type of authority or people following. Our desire should be that Christ is proclaimed because as a church, we love Christ and we just want to see Christ all the more proclaimed and followed by the church. So we joyfully follow our elders because the responsibility they have before Jesus, our King. Number six, we did it. Um, We believe elders are a benefit to the church. Look at verse 17. Again, it says, let them do this with joy, not with groaning. So your your obedience and submission allows them to do it with joy for... It would be no advantage to you if we did it with groaning. It would be no, imagine the parent, oh, I guess I'll pick up my kids today from school. And they groan the whole time they're with the kids, always groaning, always complaining to their children about having to take care of them. Nothing fosters joy like groaning. (laughs) In either way, um, so just as a home greatly benefits from a father and a mother who joyfully serve their children. So a church greatly benefits from elders who joyfully serve the church. And we could walk through so, I mean, so many of the benefits we've already walked through. They teach, they imitate, they care, they comfort, they, they provide for the church in so many ways. So those are, are six reasons why we joyfully submit to the elders within the church. So what happens when a church does this? What happens when a church joyfully follows the elders? So I titled the sermon, When Shepherds and Sheep Live in Harmony. I think I read that somewhere and I was like, well, that sounds cool. So I just ripped it out and I took that as a a title. Um, But I really like the wording, when shepherds and sheep live in harmony. That's the picture that we're to have all throughout scripture. When shepherds love the sheep and the sheep love the shepherds, there's a huge benefit for all. Number one, the church will be cared for and loved. (coughs) Verse 17 says, when the church joyfully follows and obeys, the elders will do their job with joy. Do you know that your submission to scripture and willingness to follow your shepherds encourages them to do their job all the more? You're encouraging, you're inviting them to call you to visit you, to care for you, to lead, to to disciple other men, to be shepherds in the church, simply by your submission and willingness to follow them. You're greatly encouraging them to do their job. And as a pastor in this church, you all do amazing at that. I can speak on behalf of Ozon and Chris and even our elder candidates it is an honor to be here as a pastor. There's a wonderful relationship that God has worked in this church of just grace and unity and love that we've experienced for years now here, and we hope to just continue to foster and strengthen all the more. 
So I, I say, and this sermon, I hope, is coming to you, not as a means of rebuke or correction, but a means of hoping spur on all the more. Because there's an amazing relationship that the elders in the church have together in this church that is given by the grace of God. And so we just need to pray that God would continue to bless that all the more. Um, number two, the church displays the unity of Jesus. We know that division always occurs when any of us, elders or, or, um, or non-elders, when we value our own opinions and ideas more than the body of Christ. We know that's where division occurs, and we know that's where grumbling occurs. And so by our willingness to work together is an amazing way that we display unity. Now, you might then quickly go, well, yeah, but you need to lead in a certain way. And there are certain things that, sure, elders should do. But one thing, just as, as children are not always are not always understanding exactly why their parents do what they do. I think that occurs in the church as well. And you, it's harder for us because we're all adults. We go, well, are you calling me a child? Sometimes. <laughs> like, right? Like, we do act childlike. Our kids get it. Our kids understand authority. We get that. We need to display that same type of willingness of submission also, just within the church. Number three, uh, you prepare the elders stand before Christ. We kind of already talked about that. The elder will one day give an account. Your willingness to follow prepares them for that day. And last, the church will produce more leaders. It is a sad thing, especially in America, where you know and I know there are many, many people, there are many men who have no desire to be a leader in a church because we've seen what the church does to leaders. We've seen leaders get chewed up. We've seen leaders get trampled. Only in the church does it say that we kick the wounded or shoot the wounded, however that saying goes. But there's that understanding within the church. And if you've, some of you are, have pastors <clears throat> as fathers or within your family, and you've known firsthand what has happened. That's just a testimony within the church of America. I'm sure beyond, but we're more of my firsthand experience to seeing. Um, there are leaders who lead out of selfish ambition and spiritual abuse occurs and that hurts people and it keeps people from wanting to, to, to be a leader within the church. Um, there are many, many things that prevent men from wanting to be leaders within the church. But we together have an amazing opportunity on how we treat one another, on how we love one another, on displaying that love to raise up more men to be elders and leaders within the church. And that's a responsibility that we all have together. Um, so I encourage you, don't ever forget that the way you speak about the church, about elders, about others, is teaching those who are with you, whether they're children or other people in or outside the church, of what the church is like. And you're either drawing them into leadership or giving them more reasons why never to be a leader in the church. So just be very aware of your words. And I say that as leaders too, we must be very aware of how we use our words. And last, the church will plant more churches. Wouldn't that be glorious? 
if we're raising up more and more and more men who desire to be leaders in the church. We're going to have so many men, but we're not going to need them all in this gathering. So we'd say, what if we sent them out? What if they planted somewhere else? What if we started planting more churches here in Yelm and Roy and Graham and down I-5 and up I-5? And who knows where else God may lead? Um, so last question. How do we help our shepherds serve with joy? I mean, we could easily... Well, I'll give you, I'll give you one way with three points. <laughs> Where's Jake? Is Jake still in here? I can go long. Um, Prayer. Oh, look, yeah, there he is in the back. Prayer. We need prayer. And I mean we need prayer. Pray for yourself. Verse 17 is pretty black and white. Obey and submit your leaders. I mean, we go to other verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of the work. Be at peace among yourselves. I mean, we could look at lots of scriptures now. It talks about following leaders. So clear, black and white. Pray for yourself. Pray that you would willingly and humbly desire to follow leadership. Pray for the church. Pray that we together would have unity, that we together would desire unity at all times because it is our unity for one another that displays the love of Christ in this world and the power of the gospel. That as um, Chris Colster was up here earlier, we can all be different, right? Different backgrounds, different social backgrounds, economic backgrounds, so many things. And what, what holds us together? It's not our hobbies. You don't like my hobbies. I don't like some of your hobbies. I mean, like, right? We have some weird things that we do. That's not what holds us together. The blood of Christ holds us together. And that trumps all of the other things that we do. Lastly, pray for the elders. Oh, we need prayers. I need prayers. Chris needs prayers. Ozon needs prayers. Our little candidates need prayers. We're imperfect people God uses to accomplish his purposes, just like everyone else. We wrestle with sin, we wrestle with pride, we wrestle with how to be faithful. We need prayer. In fact, if you look at verse 18, the author asks the church, pray for us. It's the church, it's their prayer that's going to strengthen them to act honorably in all things so they'll be reunited with the church, which very likely means that they're in jail at this time. And so they're praying, they're saying, pray for us that we'll be honorable in everything we do would give glory to God while we're in jail and that your prayers will be the means in which we come out. Most likely, that's what's happening here. Their prayers are the means in which God will bring them to be reunited and your prayers are the means in which God uses to equip the elders and to change our hearts. We, all, we are all instruments in the hands of God and he uses us to mold one another, to encourage one another, to build each other up. And so if you're gonna pray for us, I have some suggestions. Pray for single-mindedness. Pray that we love the gospel more than anything else. Pray that for everyone. Pray that for the elders. We love the gospel and that nothing would distract us from the gospel. Pray for wisdom. I think that's my go-to when anyone asks me, what do you pray for? Wisdom. And that's not like just some answer. We're growing. What are we to do? More people need to be cared for. What do we do? Their sins, do we confront these sins or does love cover these offenses? What do we do? 
There's uh, countless times I'm just faced with, how do I shepherd my wife? How do I shepherd my kids? What do we do? How do I lead well in staff? Like, need prayer. Need wisdom in every area of my life. We need grace. Pray that we'd be gracious. Pray that we'd be gracious. Pray that we'd be humble. Counting others always more significant than ourselves. We need that prayer. Pray that we take up the cross. That's what we read last week. Go outside the camp was the same as take up your cross. Pray for boldness. When do we speak? And pray that we love the sheep. Pray that we keep growing in our love for the sheep. Uh, 3 John 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. If you're a parent, that's your joy, right? You want to see your children walking in the truth. As a pastor, that's our, that's our joy. And when we see people drift, we see people distracted, we weep over that. That's hard. So pray that we love the sheep and that we continue to go after the sheep. We're simply, elders are simply a means that Jesus, the chief shepherd, loves his church. You are a means in which Jesus loves the church. Together, we work together that we display the love of Christ in this world. Different roles, different responsibilities, all characterized by love and by unity. Um, so let's pray. And the team will come up and we'll take communion together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the position of eldership, the position of deacons. We thank you for every person in the church. God, I pray, as we, we talk so much about elders today, but I pray that all of our thoughts would be on Christ and understanding how ultimately Christ is one who loves the church and he uses people to do that. God, we thank you for how you care for us, how you protect us, on how you know us and how you love us. Grow us in our love and unity for one another. And God, as we partake of communion today, may we realize that the gospel that we have, the unity that holds us, it's all because of your son, Jesus. In your name, Jesus, amen.